Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 134 being recorded on Monday, June 4th, 2018. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Jason's been kind of a busy kickoff to summer here, and we've uh, thought tonight, uh, this week, we would cover some e-commerce news. Commerce News. Last time we talked about news, there was the hot take on Adobe and Magento. Uh, before we dig into that, though, an even more important question. Uh, give me your spoiler-free review of Star Wars, a solo story. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I took my wife to to the movie for our, our fifth wedding anniversary because I'm a very romantic guy. Um, and uh, we really liked it. I, I feel like I... Um, of the new Star Wars movies, I've really enjoyed the sort of new stories, uh, Solo and uh, um, Rogue's Tale more than, or Rogue One more than uh, I, I maybe am the main trilogy. Mm. Awesome. What is fifth year anniversary? I always say it's paper to my wife just so I can avoid anything I, else. Yeah, so. I, I pretend everything is paper or, zir- and a or movie cubic zirconian, which Boom. apparently is not one of the anniversaries either. Mm. Ten. Ten's another good one to throw in there. Give her some uh, aluminum foil. Well, uh, for ten, I'm I'm taking her to Disney World for the the Star Wars Hotel. Nice. Yeah. I'm just kidding. We'll have to go probably sooner than ten. Ten. I mean, T I N. Oh, ten. I got yeah. it. Yeah. I like. <laughs> I, sorry, I thought we were already planning my tenth anniversary. Paper, paper, and ten. T I N. The odds of her being able to put up with me for five more years are, you know, not that impressive. Uh, I don't know. The how about uh, and then her or you for that matter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's been been a long three years here. Uh, The trip report. So you were in Boston and you covered a really cool conference uh, around grocery. Tell tell us about what all was going on with the exciting grocery folks. Yeah. Uh, So Royal Bank of Canada has has this uh, event every year. Focused on all the investors that are following that that category, so I got to go do a a keynote on how digital is disrupting uh, digital is disrupting grocery. So that uh, was a fun talk, and uh, they they pretended to laugh at my jokes, which I always appreciate. Um, and there were a ton of uh, CEOs there, so uh, like uh, got to sit in on a briefing with the CEO of Kellogg, and he he had some pretty pithy. Uh, comments uh that i i i I think got some traction on my twitter feed um he was kind of joking about how how these um uh startups are awesome and they all grow to 100 million dollars and then pray to god to be acquired by someone like kellogg um or Kraft. um and uh the uh mpd did a uh who we covered their conference last year did a pretty cool recap on the evolution of, of grocery so there there's a um, you know, obviously, grocery is a big piece of consumer spending and getting hugely disrupted by digital right now. So a lot of people are trying to uh, figure out what the what the sort of ramifications of all that will be and play smart bets. Cool. And in your talk, did you do the whole uh, curbside versus delivery and, and all that? 
So you know what? I actually was a little higher level. I was talking about some of the the main ways in which uh, consumers' purchase decision patterns are changing overall and have changed in other categories and how those apply to grocery. So um, talked. Uh, uh, I didn't get sort of deep dive into the tactics of grocery pickup versus uh, home delivery for these guys. Um, that'll maybe be next year's talk, but uh, did talk a lot about how – uh, people need more information to make purchase decisions and social proof and absolute value and um, transparency are becoming a much bigger deal. And, you know, what retailers are doing that well and what retailers still have some work to do there. Um, and, uh, you know, this sort of big, big trend of brands and retailers colliding and all the all the the retailers starting to look more like brands as they, you know, snap up all these products and acquire meal kits and launch all these organic um uh, and I mean organic as in in-home, uh, in, in-house new products that, they've, that they're launching and, and, you know, how all the brands are trying to figure out how to go direct to consumer. Very cool. So uh, let's jump into the news. First of all, uh, just for an outline tonight, we thought we'd cover uh, – sometimes we put kind of what we call other news, just kind of tidbits at the end, and it always gets bumped. So we thought we'd kind of reverse that so you get the delicious tidbits first, uh, and then we're going to talk about – uh, Apple's conference, uh, and then uh, one of the big events uh, that Jason and I, both being data geeks, get excited about is Mary Meeker had her 2018 deck out. So we're going to wrap up the show and go over the Meeker deck. Uh, so with that being said, why don't we jump into Walmart? They had uh, a shareholder uh, meeting that was – it's one of those things that they they hold, and it's not quite as big as Warren Buffett, but but pretty similar where – Thousands and thousands of people go and, and hear Walmart's annual report. Did you see any interesting news out of that? Uh, yeah, yeah. There are a number of things. So this is an annual event that Walmart holds uh, usually uh, a week or two after their their um, uh, earnings uh, report and also usually right after a board meeting. Um, and on the on the one hand, they may not have as many shareholders come to the meeting as Warren um, does for Berkshire Hathaway. But the other thing that Walmart does is they bring – thousands of associates um from all all their various businesses all over the world and so uh the the sports arena where they hold the event is like uh way more friendly (laughs) um because there you know there's so many employees there and they they uh you know usually get some big music acts and an interesting mc um and uh you know they often have launched projects or talked about you know their their focuses and initiatives um for the year. Uh, so, uh, it's a good, if you're a Walmart follower, it's a good thing to attend. It's kind of a pain in the neck because it basically puts this small town of Bentonville in, uh, in Arkansas at capacity. So like, if you don't plan well in advance, you're likely staying at a, uh, a hotel, like pretty far away, like maybe down in the college or something. And, uh, it's hard to, to, you know, get into a restaurant and all those sorts of things. So I, I was actually pleased to, follow this year's shareholder meeting from afar rather than uh, attend in person as I, as I have done a number of times in the past. Cool. seems like the big thing that blew up is this jet black. Uh, tell us more about that. Yeah. So the rumors of this started coming out um, a couple of weeks before the shareholders meeting, but they officially announced this new service uh, at the shareholders meeting called jet black. And um, one of Mark Laurie's uh, lieutenants, uh, Jennifer Fleiss uh, came out to, to introduce it, um, folks might recognize Jennifer. Um, 
She runs the the um I keep calling it store nine and it's store eight. Uh the incubation lab for Walmart. Um but she also is uh one of the original founders of Rent the Runway. Um so has a lot of uh interesting bespoke uh apparel expertise. And uh Jet Black is a new concierge service that Walmart is piloting at the moment, just in Manhattan and just for people that live in particular types of dwellings. So you have to live in a condo or an apartment building with a doorman um, so that they, they can use the fulfillment methods that they have in mind. And essentially what they're doing is they're they're providing a, a personal shopper for everyone that's in this program. You pay a monthly fee. Um, I think they're experimenting with a couple different price points on the monthly fee. Uh, it might be like 50 or a hundred dollars a month at the moment. Um, and essentially you can call or even send an SMS message and say, Hey, I need a new outfit to wear for this party, or I need a birthday present for a four year old girl, or I need a very specific thing. Um, and your, your personal shopper will track all your preferences and past purchases and, you know, either get the specific thing you asked for or, or make a smart recommendation based on what on uh, what information you give, um, and in many cases they'll do same day delivery. So they'll like you you can simply send a text message and have something show up at your doorman when you come home from uh, work for your building in New York. So it's a very uh, high touch data driven model. Um, they're saying that they have some AI uh, uh, chat bots as part of the system, but there's also a lot of human uh, interaction and intervention, um, and it's a it's a huge uh push for Walmart to try to you know learn how to capture these more affluent customers um that are really the only part of the US market you know that Walmart hasn't captured yet so you know Walmart owns a big swath of of the US and you know the one the one uh, demographic that they that they don't do particularly well in is these affluent shoppers and you know Walmart doesn't have a store in New York City for example and so um, launching this this service is interesting, and it's semi branded Jet, which is also interesting, right? Like it's not clear whether the Jet in Jet Black is for the Walmart Jet brand or if they just chose to, you know, uh, na- uh, pick a descriptive version of Black to name the the product. So that's going to be a little interesting, um, and it's you know it's going to be interesting to see if socialites in New York will will uh, you know. Um, subscribe to this this uh high touch service that's provided by walmart who they you know would would historically have looked down their nose at yeah yeah there's several startups in this area that have raised pretty considerable capital one's called i think alfred um it's two women that have done it and it's got it's got kind of maybe half product half concierge services kind of a thing so you can have you know um not only can you say, "Hey, I've got it. I need a gift for this party. I'm going to, but please deliver it to this address." Which maybe it's not. But they'll actually do some services along with the the items that that get bought. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, you know, a lot of the folks uh, in my industry are super eager to try it out, and so we've all applied you know, for the closed beta. And so we, you know, we all had to lie and claim that we're housewives in New York. <laughs> It'll be funny when they show up in Chicago and they're shocked that it's you. Exactly. 
Cool. Uh, other interesting retail news. So uh, a lot of retailers, they have a kind of an off-calendar Q1. So they're just announcing their Q1, but it's not January, February, March. It's more February, March, April that, that we're hearing about now. Uh, so both Ulta and Sears were interesting, I found, because it was kind of a tale of two cities, this kind of bifurcation that, that we hear a lot about. Sears was kind of one side of that story, and uh, their comps were down 12% year-over-year. Same-store sales were down 12%, uh, and they're going to close another 70 stores. So they're kind of doing this kind of you know shaving off stores as they kind of sw- spiral around. Um, conversely, uh, Ulta, who we've talked about on the show, uh, is uh, crushed their earnings, and their, their comps were up pretty considerably, uh, and they're opening 34 stores. So it's this really interesting kind of changing the guard going on in retail um, mall-based versus not mall-based um, categories like beauty doing well, Lululemon did well, athleisure. Um, you know, we continue these trends we've talked about on the show a lot. Uh, continue to go on, and a lot of them mimic the bifurcation. Another area that's doing really well is uh, wholesale clubs and dollar stores. So that kind of value-oriented side of the equation is doing well, also. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and then. Uh... Uh, I think Macy's also uh, had their earnings and also was uh, uh, favorable. So I think they their uh, um, their their revenue was up three point six percent and comps were up three point nine percent. And uh, check me on this, Scott, but I think this was the second consecutive quarter of favorable comps for them after a, a very long streak of negative comps. Yeah, yeah, and our good friend Hal is over there, and so I think uh, he can take credit for both of those because they happened on his watch. Always, always good, you know, to to land somewhere and then have things turn around uh, yeah. right when you do it. So we'll give Hal all the credit for that. For sure, and they they um, do have a bunch of initiatives that have gone live that that in some ways feel like they they at least uh, partially have Hal's fingerprints on them. Uh, you know, since. Um, uh, Shop Talk, they've been really touting this this pilot of mobile scan, uh, uh, self-scan checkout um, that they've been rapidly um, expanding to a bunch of stores. I find that super interesting because on the one hand, I feel like it it solves a very real problem that, that shoppers have with Macy's. In fact, I think they, it's the number one reported complaint at Macy's is that you can't find a, a clerk to check you out after you've made your purchases. Um, and so this is a sort of self-service thing where you pick your clothes, you scan them with your mobile app. If they have security tags on them, you you show the digital receipt at the door and someone takes those tags off and you, you get out of the store much faster. Um, and it, apparently Macy's uh, shoppers are really responding well to that service. Um, and it makes a lot of sense. The one thing that's interesting is we've seen a few other retailers pilot it and then sort of step back a little bit. So, you know, Walmart had a pretty significant test of uh, mobile scan, uh, self-checkout, and uh, they did it in both Sam's Club and Walmart. And then they they rolled it out at Sam's Club, and it seems like they turned it off at Walmart. So, I, you know, I think there was a, a different learning there, and maybe it's a, a different shopping dynamic. Um, but they, you know, also are like turning up the heat on some of their their e-commerce fulfillment thing. So they, they did launch a new um, dropship program. So they're expanding their their catalog by uh, listing more vendor products that they don't inventory themselves and having the vendors ship that stuff direct. Uh, a lot of times for a retailer, that's a baby step towards a true marketplace. So if, if this program is successful for them, maybe we'll see, see Macy's uh, launch a marketplace down, down the road. 
Um, they also uh, launched their buy online ship to store. And, and for listeners that don't track this carefully, that's a slightly different flavor than buy online pickup in store. So buy online pickup in store means the goods are already on the shelf in the store. Customer orders online, and then they go get, uh, and they're you know someone pulls the one off the shelf and saves it for them, and they get that one. In buy online, ship to store, the goods are still coming out of the e-commerce fulfillment center, but instead of sending the goods to the consumer's home, which is expensive, they ship the goods to the consumer's near store, and the consumer can come and pick it up for free. Uh, it's a big win for the retailer because the delivery costs are much lower, and that customer is going to walk in the store and potentially discover other things. Um, and so uh, this uh, boss or buy online uh, ship to store program is a new thing at Macy's. It that also has been one of the major initiatives at Walmart um, over the last couple of years. And uh, uh, Macy says that they're going to rapidly scale all those programs. So so uh, interesting digital stuff happening at Macy's. This was one I, I thought you'd find interesting. So so Target had mixed results. So uh, on the positive side, their foot traffic was up. Uh, over 3.7% year over year, which is really good in the world of offline retail, uh, you know, where you're kind of looking at, at 2 and 3% comps. Then they said e-commerce grew 28%, um, which is interesting. And then we just had, you know, I, th- I think it wasn't Walmart in kind of the 30%, which footnote, when all of these things come out, it always reminds me of this discussion we've had on the show where if everyone's growing 30%, then who is not growing 30%? And why is e-commerce only growing 15 to 18%? Um, we'll have to save that discussion again for another day, uh, and get some guests on to help us kind of understand that anyway. Uh, but that was the positive side, but then, uh, wall street was expecting a buck 39 on, uh, EBITDA and they came in at a buck 32. So, so pretty big miss on the bottom line. Uh, and the management team essentially said, look, e-commerce grew faster than we were expecting and it's expensive and it cratered our margins. So they really blamed, um, the, the bottom line miss on the the nice kind of hit on the e-commerce growing at 28% number. So uh, it kind of, you know, I, whenever that happens, I kind of think of Amazon has a lot of retailers in this really tough lose-lose situation where, you know, you lose if you don't grow your e-commerce. And if you do grow your e-commerce, your EBITDA is going to crater. Uh, and Amazon has kind of figured out how to do that way more efficiently than these folks that have invested all their best thinking into the store infrastructure. They're catching up on these things, but Amazon's got a nice kind of, you know, 15 year lead. So interesting, uh, kind of, a, a reminder of that trap that I think Amazon has retailers in. Yeah. And, you know, potentially this is just the new normal in retail is obviously we're going to continue to see a shift in, uh, the, the sales mix to online sales and, you know, inherently for almost every retailer, those those sales are less profitable. So there's more pressure on margins than ever before. And, you know, uh, if you're if you're just expecting, you know, that they're eventually going to get back to that same margin level that they were at pre digital, that that might be an unrealistic expectation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then pivoting to the other recent event, uh, uh, you know, usually in the world of geekdom, this is pretty exciting, but it was kind of mediocre uh, here today. So today, Apple kicked off their Worldwide Worldwide Developers Conference, uh, creatively called WWDC, and uh, 
probably the most interesting thing, and, and there's there's new versions of all the operating systems coming out. And really, kind of if there was a theme for this one, I think it was let's pause and fix a bunch of stuff. So so Apple's been innovating a lot, and it's created just kind of a lot of dangling threads and things that aren't kind of 100%. So it looks like this kind of iteration for the next six months is going to be kind of, you know, some consistency. So, for example, I always have trouble going between my phone and my iPad because the UI is totally different because I have a, a 10 and, you know, it's different than the operating system on the iPad. They're going to integrate a lot more of the stuff on the Mac, etc. Probably the most interesting part of the day, I thought, was Wall Street reacted very positively to Apple Um and, uh, you know, we've talked about on the show a little bit, there's kind of this interesting race to see which of the the kind of horsemen of the Internet are going to be the first trillion dollar company. Uh, and a big movement was made today as Apple went up five to six percent. So where it stands as of today, uh, which is we're recording this is June 4th after the market closed. Apple has got a pretty considerable lead at nine hundred and forty two billion so really kind of 58 billion away, uh, which seemed 58 million, yeah, 58 billion away from a trillion, uh, which seems like a lot. But when you kind of think about percentages, another kind of 6% move on Apple and you'll be there. So, so that's going to be interesting to watch. Um, Amazon, if you've been keeping track, Amazon used to be dead last. Now they're at $808 billion, uh, and Amazon's also doing very well, but not quite keeping pace with Apple. Uh, and then Google has done quite well, and they're sitting at about $800 billion, kind of switching with Amazon back and forth, depending on how the stocks do. Uh, and then Microsoft at 781 The real laggard uh, who was in the race and has really kind of fallen off is Facebook at $560 billion. So you know, it's pretty interesting. I think wh- – I think what will happen is it's hard to tell who's going to get there first. Right now, you would kind of call Apple getting there first. But I think we're going to see a scenario where we have like, you know, three or four trillion dollar companies. So it's it's not going to be kind of the trillion dollar company. I think I think some of these companies that have built these massive platforms uh, that are just soaking up dollars across all these categories are, are going to be each of them will be trillion dollar companies. Uh, so it's going to be we'll keep people posted on that. The the Facebook thing's interesting. You know, obviously they're coming under a lot of scrutiny uh, and regulatory concern and things for everything going on there. Um, Apple really threw a lot of shade at them in the WWDC. So some of the features coming out, although they don't specifically talk about Facebook, they're things for uh, you know um, making you look even more anonymous than ever, uh, and specifically getting away around some of the ways Facebook tries to fingerprint you as a user. Um, that was interesting. Um, and perhaps the most interesting is they're introducing some features that allow you to manage the amount of time you're using your devices and um, the time of day and, and things of that nature. And then also a fair amount uh, uh, new features around that same topic around children. So you can kind of say, hey, I'm going to let my kids have 30 minutes on their device um, after school so they can call me and be in touch. But then that's it. I'm not going to let them I'm going to lock them out of the device between, you know, the the school hours and then in the evenings as well. So, you know, it's interesting to see if that any of that will will cause kind of a reduction in online time, uh, you know, where people are kind of addicted to these social media use cases, primarily Facebook's family of, of apps. Uh, so those were some of the the interesting kind of high level things I saw out of the conference. What what uh, did you see that was interesting? Yeah. Um, so. Uh- I I think you hit it right. Like, uh, I don't think there were huge commerce centric announcements at the show. I think they lowered expectations for the show coming in by saying, Hey, 
We're probably not going to launch a lot of major new stuff. We're going to, you know, we, we have a significant focus on fixing a lot of the stuff we've already made. Um, but they did announce uh, an upgrade to their augmented reality um, stack. Uh, so what they call AR kit, they, they announced 2.0, um, which has richer features. We've talked uh, several times about how um, AR probably has a lot more application than VR does for, for uh, shopping in the, in the near term. And uh, uh, historically, it's required a lot of horsepower and a lot of special software um, to do decent AR on phones. And now, you know, Apple and Google are both making it much more ubiquitous and much easier to code. Um, so this AR kit 2.0 can be interesting. Uh, one of the they they Apple literally has a new app coming out with uh, AR Kit 2.0 called Measure, which is sort of a using your your camera as a, a surprisingly accurate ruler to be able to measure dimensions of rooms and things like that. And we've talked a number of times about how you know as these cameras get better at measuring things, that can uh, apply to a whole bunch of commerce use cases, uh, fitment for clothes and uh, uh, visualizations and fitment for furniture and housewares and all these sorts of things become much more more possible as as these capabilities expand. Um, there were no hardware announcements at the show, but there's a lot of rumors that the next iPhone will have a, a triple camera on it and that third camera being a depth sensor. And so, uh, you know, there already is a really sophisticated depth sensor on the front of the camera for measuring your face, uh, if they put a, a sophisticated depth sensor on the back of that next phone, that could really open the doors to some interesting uh, apparel fitment and made-to-order apparel uh, over the phone and all sorts of things. So so we'll continue to watch that closely. Uh, they did announce a potentially a very scary new feature for Safari. So this is going back to the, the privacy uh, stuff that you talked about. That they're adding... Um, uh, the ability to block third-party cookies in Safari. Um, and so like, this is probably a good thing for users, but it breaks an awful lot of the Internet. Um, uh, like Almost all the news sites uh, you know, rely heavily on all these third-party cookies from all these content syndicators and ad uh, platforms and things. And, and uh, uh, if, if all of these publishers have to adapt to a world in which third-party cookies don't work, um, that's going to be a pretty big paradigm shift. Um, and for many of them, like the like this is a double win for Apple. Apple gets to say we care about users' privacy and we're eliminating you know evil advertisers' ability to track us. Um, but when the the content sites that are primarily making money by selling ads around free content they give you, when they lose the the ability to monetize their content through these ad platforms, it actually forces them onto, Apple News and Google News as their only source of monetization for their their content. So, you know, Apple announced a new version of their their news platform. At the same time, they're making it harder for these these news publishers to to monetize their own content. So, so you know, you can look at that as a coincidence or a, a nefarious plan. Um, this is already in Safari, but I just want to highlight for folks that, you know, uh, a recent update to Safari added the ability for Apple to finally support progressive web apps. They've been in the Google browser for a while. And uh, this people are not talking about this as, as enough. This is a huge uh, paradigm change for how to do mobile. You can do way better mobile e-commerce sites using uh, these PWAs. Um, 
uh, or what are called progressive web apps than you than you can uh, using traditional mobile websites, and certainly uh, a better play for most retailers than doing mobile apps. Um, and now that you can do one code base and have it work on most of the Google and Apple devices, every retailer really should be redoing their mobile right now. And interestingly, not very many are. And, you know, my my uh, hypothesis is that part of the problem is that all these retailers have mobile fatigue, that they, you know, in the last year they just launched a responsive site and they felt like that meant they were done at mobile. Um, and now no one wants to talk about redoing their mobile again to support all these new mobile standards like progressive web apps uh, and uh, accelerated mobile pages and leveraging this, these new payment technologies like the payment request API Um but these are all best practices that make a huge difference in uh, in mobile commerce. So it's going to be interesting to see how that that all plays out. Um, did you see any uh, other cool stuff at the at the Apple conference that's worth noting? The other uh, at the keynote, there was kind of two that had a little bit of a commerce flavor, and they were within the augmented reality world, which which we we talk a lot about on the show. Um, side note: we do have a deep dive into AR VR that that new listeners should check out if if any of this sounds interesting to you. So one of the things they did is they had a group of folks from Lego there, and they had a table with a, an, a Lego set set that was constructed, uh, and it was one of these little village kind of sets, you know, where uh, they they kind of get you to buy one and then you can buy a multiple village so they had this kind of apartment building set uh, then they could look through their ipads and they could do some really cool stuff they could go inside of that apartment building set virtually and see kind of animated lego people living and doing things in there um, and then they could kind of pull out other sets and look at how they would look next to that set and then there was a lot of animated play around there so uh, the building could catch on fire and then someone could have the little lego fire people come out and a lego helicopter and that was really interesting because you could you know uh, many people can have a shared 3d experience uh, and then you know so you could imagine um a husband, wife, and a designer having a shared 3D experience uh, in a house, kind of you know, planning where furniture would go or the redesign of a kitchen and those kinds of things. Um, and then the other one that had e-commerce implications was Fender, the guitar company. Uh, they, sh- they actually showed this, this kind of interesting example where they went to the website, they designed a guitar, and then they pressed a button. And there's this new way of communicating these models. That button then kind of created a 3D model, put it into the AR kit, and you could kind of like then see a 3D version of the guitar that was designed. Then they pressed, a, and that was kind of in just kind of a, a white space. You could kind of spin it and see it, which isn't terribly new for the world of e-commerce. Then they touched a button, and you could actually see it kind of like sitting, you know, I don't know why you'd want to do this with a guitar, uh, kind of sitting on its stand, and and you could even kind of like, you know, envision it in your environment. Um, so these 3D models are starting to get kind of more transportable between experiences, which is interesting. And they announced a new a new model, uh, some new file format for this that seemed like a relatively big deal. Um, and, you know, it may have e-commerce implications because I, I do hear from e-commerce folks, you know, uh, everyone's out there creating these 3D models and uh, there's a lot of duplication of effort. So at some point, if you're a brand, you may that may just be part of the digital package you give to somebody uh, is an AR model uh, that everyone can kind of consume versus, oh, I have to, you know, maybe uh, Howl's needs one and the Ikea app needs another and I don't know, the Wayfair app needs another uh, or they're all creating them and duplicating work. So some, you know, some kind of, 
you know, interesting implications out there for AR shopping for, for what that's worth. It's probably many years out still. For sure. But I think it exactly mirrors like the early days of e-commerce. If you launch an e-commerce site, you, you hired your own photographer and took pictures of all the products you were selling because the manufacturer wasn't used to giving you digital versions of all their photos. Um, and over time, like we've developed these pretty robust systems where, you know, manufacturers now, uh, syndicate a lot of digital content to e-commerce sites to help them merchandise products. And I think you're exactly right. You know, the, the early AR examples, the, the retailer all recreated 3d models of the manufacturer's products, which, you know, is expensive for the retailers. And, oh, by the way, may or may not have been an accurate representation of the manufacturer's product. Um, and so I think over time you'll see, uh, th- that, you know, uh, syndicating that 3d data, just, you know, being another, another attribute that a uh, manufacturer has to provide to a retailer when they sell them a product. Yeah. And then, uh, last little note, the, uh, the one thing that as I was reading a summary of all the changes coming that got me the most excited is, uh, probably like you, I am uh, double authenticated on everything I do. So, uh, probably four or five times a day, I have to send myself a code and take that code and type it into a variety of different devices. Um, they're coming out with a new feature in, uh, across the operating system family called security code autofill. So if you, uh, generate a code to your phone and you need to go type that in over on your desktop. If you're in the Apple ecosystem and you have the messages all wired up, it'll say, when you go to tap in that code, it'll say, should I just use that code that came from this message you got about five seconds ago? Um, so that made me very excited. I think that's going to save me uh, um, probably 40 hours a year in typing codes and remembering all the seven digits over and over and over again. Yeah, for sure. I'm <laughs> definitely looking forward to that too. Uh, multi-factor authentication is a, uh, super important and everyone should be using it and it's kind of a pain in the neck at the moment. So, so reducing some of that friction is, uh, I'm all for it. Uh, so we wanted to use the last uh, bit of time on today's show to talk about, um, part of the recode conference or code commerce, uh, conference as it's called. Uh, so this is a big show out in California every year, uh, put on by our friends at recode and Kara Swisher, um, and they get uh, really marquee keynote speakers every year, um, and some of them have been very commerce-centric. So I think two years ago, uh, Jeff Bezos was there and made uh, you know uh, some significant news. Um, this year, there were not a lot of uh, commerce speakers that I was super excited about. I think the big keynotes were like the CEO of Uber and CEO of Spotify and Airbnb, um, I, I know Katrina Lake had a little presentation, who's the founder of Stitch Fix. Um, but to me, the big uh, presentation that they have every year that always has some uh, relevance to digital commerce is uh, one of the partners at uh, Kleiner Perkins, uh, Mary Meeker, uh, does this annual presentation called The State of the Internet, which is a super uh, data-driven deep dive into the the major global trends um, in digital. And so uh, this year uh, she did that presentation again. And, and what was the count? Was it like 300, uh, 200 and something? Yeah. 300, yeah, right at 300. Yeah, yeah, almost 300 slides. So for yeah, me, so- that, that's about how many slides I prepare for a 15-minute presentation. <laughs> yeah, so Jason and I have gone through those slides and want to kind of boil it down to 15 minutes that matters to you guys. 
Um, it may be handy. We'll put a link to the, the PDF in the show notes so that you kind of like zip to the slide numbers that, that we reference as we go through this. Um, I'll cover some of the macro trends really quickly, and then we'll we'll kind of each summarize kind of the takeaways we got from the e-commerce section. So so macro trends were, were pretty much what I would call kind of steady as she goes. The, you know, some of the themes from the macro trends section, the growth of the Internet is slowing. Um, people are spending only 5.9 hours a day online, but that growth is kind of really slowed down. Um, the, a lot of the growth kind of interior to there is in messaging and video. She referenced Twitch as this platform, uh, which is streaming gaming that that's really kind of up and to the right. That's actually owned by, owned by Amazon. Amazon. I don't think a lot of people know that. Go that. No, I'm sorry. I just spoke over you, but exactly. It's owned by Amazon. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and then kind of the new thing this year is because of the, you know, the amount of Internet time and, and the companies that we've talked about just a minute ago, there's increased government scrutiny, of course, um, which creates this kind of interesting paradox that increasingly the, the you know, the these horsemen of the Internet need more and more data from you to have these great personalized experiences. But, you know, from a regulatory perspective, are you really clear? the data you're giving up, how it's being used, who is being shared with. So, you know, she kind of uh, pretty easily predicted that's going to be be an ongoing challenge for everybody. Uh, Facebook's kind of squarely kind of caught up in that right now, but I don't see how anyone's really immune from it. Um, uh, one of the interesting areas I thought was investing in tech, uh, and this is kind of interesting, is at the highest ever over the 20 years they've been tracking it here in 2018. Uh, and that's uh, both... That's that's kind of venture capital, if you will. So that's private company investing. Uh, at the same time, when you look at public companies, they're spending more on R&D than ever has been spent. Uh, slide 40 is interesting, and it does show Amazon at the top there. Uh, some people uh, that really track this will note that Amazon does put some of the acquisition of original content in their R&D budget. So uh, it may not be quite as big and scary, but I think it's only like $2 billion of that is original content. So it, it still keeps them at number one in the R&D spending. Um, public company R&D spending is up 18% year over year. Uh, so when you add those two things together, if you thought the pace of innovation was going to slow down, you're probably incorrect because if dollars are the the leading harbinger of innovation, which I do think is true, uh, both public companies and private companies ha are are you know getting larger and larger investment than ever before, um, even at our scale percentage wise, it's a very large number. So no slowdown on innovation, uh, even though the internet growth is slowing. Uh, and then from there. Uh, Jason, the e-commerce section really kind of kicks off on page 44. I thought, you know, uh, last year there was a lot around ads in the ad ecosystem. And I, I thought this year we got it's while it's not earth shattering, we got more kind of of the meeker deck was on e-commerce. So we thought we'd cover each of our kind of highlights uh, here. Jason, what, what were some of the takeaways for you in that section? Yeah, yeah. And I'd start off by saying, like, uh, I, I really look forward to this presentation every year. And in and, and every year in the past, there have been major insightful takeaways that were like major new trends I hadn't really thought of uh, that were super valuable to think of. Um, and so was looking forward to that again this year. And I have to say this year felt a lot more iterative to me. It was a lot more hey, these trends we've talked about in the past are accelerating. These trends we've been talking about for a long time are decelerating. I didn't have as many like aha moments as I have in the past. And maybe that's just sort of the price you pay for this being the fifth or sixth time she's done this. Um, but uh, that being said, I, I agree. I think she did a deeper dive in commerce. 
Um, she kind of talked about a lot of commerce trends that would be old hat to, to uh, folks that listen to this show in terms of, uh, you know, uh, 14% of, of uh, uh, or 14% e-commerce growth in U.S., 16% worldwide. Um, the uh, She uses some really low numbers, but like uh, I think she has about 8% of all uh, retail sales being e-commerce now. And that, that's, again, the broadest definition of retail that includes like gas and things like that. Um, but the, the big things that were interesting to me, uh, she really focused on this, this trend of personalization. And uh, everyone talks about personalization, but she really cited as evidence uh, for the fact that people are willing to trade um, privacy for personalization, even in this, this crazy uh, privacy climate. Um, she's highlighting services like Waze and Uber and uh, Snap uh, and even Nextdoor, which is kind of an interesting uh, service where people are willing to give a lot of geolocated data um, in exchange for this personalized experience. Um, and so she showed the rapid growth of all these sort of services that she defined as highly personalized services. I thought that was interesting. In the e-commerce delivery section, um, she she talked a lot about the the limited growth of uh, UPS, FedEx, and the U.S. Post Office. And and as we've talked about a bunch of times on this show, there's a huge gap in the the growth in those those carriers' ability to deliver packages and the thirty percent e-commerce growth that everyone is claiming they're having. Um, so that you know uh, that certainly is going to be a recurring theme we're going to hear about. Um, and uh, in the past, she talked. She talks a lot about ads, digital ads in general. This time, she talked kind of specifically about commerce ads, and she's talking about how these ads that have a commerce call to action are emerging as uh, one of the most effective uh, formats of digital ads. So she talked about Google PLAs having three times the engagement as their other advertising platforms. Um, she, she talked about, you know, the, uh, Facebook's continued traction and then she, you know, highlighted that Amazon has emerged as a, a, a true huge advertising platform and that, you know, in her view, they have a $4 billion run rate. They're growing 42% year over year. Um, the, you know, I thought, uh, that was pretty interesting, um, she talked a lot about the adoption of subscriptions uh, commerce and how uh, these subscription services are growing. So she would use uh, Amazon Prime as a, as a key example of subscription, obviously, but also Netflix and Spotify and Dropbox and Stitch Fix and Peloton and how these things are all going up and to the right. Um, a, a trend she's talked about a number of times that she hit again this year is, is uh, her version of the mobile gap, which is sort of... Um, an advertising look at the mobile gap that essentially advertisers disproportionately spend on every other platform compared to its percentage of audience consumption. But advertisers are still dramatically underspending on mobile advertising compared to audience consumption of mobile. And so she thinks there's about a $7 billion opportunity there um, in ads shifting to mobile being the, the platform. Um, and then once she got out of the commerce section, the other, the last thing I'll sort of highlight uh, that that was really interesting to me. We've talked about the bifurcation of uh, spending power a lot on this show, and and uh, certainly Casey Lowenbaugh has been on a couple times, who's done a lot of thought leadership in that uh, that space. Um, she had some pretty detailed data that um, 
you know, despite the fact that there's a lot of economic indicators that are really growing, household debt is at its highest level ever. Um, and she shows this really ch- scary chart. It's uh, slide 103, um, where in 1968, the ratio of debt to income and the um, amount of personal savings that people had were both similar things, right? And debt to income ratio is a bad thing and personal savings is a good thing if you're talking about a family's financial health. And from 1968 till today, those two trends have been going in opposite directions. We're saving less every year than we did the year before, and our debt to income ratio is getting higher every year than the year before. And so we're opening up this huge gap in, you know, uh, families being over leveraged and not having a lot of savings. And she highlights that part of the reason for that is healthcare, insurance costs, and housing costs are going way up and people are having to spend more of their budget on those things, um, which subsequently means people are spending less on food, entertainment, and apparel. Um, And we've talked a lot about people spending less on apparel, but it's kind of interesting. uh, She's highlighting data that, you know, people are spending less on entertainment, which you might call experiences, and food. Um, And, you know, compared to some of the hard goods, we've said, hey, uh, experiences and and food are doing better, um, but she's highlighting that like in reality, like all of those those spending categories are challenged as people are having to spend more of their their wallet to pay back their college loans and their healthcare. Um, and uh, I guess the last part of the bifurcation that was interesting to me is uh, she talked about this decision Walmart made back in 1990 to get into grocery. Um, and how they, you know, uh, uh, pretty quickly became the largest grocer in the U.S. And that one of the big impacts of that is that grocery prices have gone down every year from 1990 to today. And so today, food costs are, are you know, permanently and substantially down from 1990. Um, and that's that's eroded every grocer's ability to make margins. And, and you know, we, we talked earlier in the show, you know, we think digital has the potential to do that to a lot a lot of other categories as well. Very cool. So quickly, some of the things I wanted to just point out to listeners from the deck that just to kind of be aware of, uh, on slide 50, she has kind of a, a look at some of the different tools around e-commerce and where the, the current state of the art is and, and kind of has a framework for looking at the online store platform, the payment platform, fraud prevention, prevention purchase financing, customer support, uh, discovery process, and then the delivery process. So uh, kind of a weird order there. I usually put kind of like discovery at the top and delivery at the bottom and whatnot, but 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 kind of interesting to highlight those things. Um, kind of a fun chart on 63 where she shows kind of the evolution of finding products where you kind of have the old school just search box. And then, uh, you know, here we are today with voice search kind of married with fulfillment uh, using Amazon as an example uh, and then using Google as an example, kind of showing, again, that same kind of growth from simple organic search kind of Google kind of, you know, what is that, like 1997 kind of time frame, um, all the way to the current shopping auctions actions where uh, everything is really kind of integrated and you can buy right from the platform. The, uh, you know, uh, the firm she works for has a really big China group and they always chime in on here. And I always find there's, there's really good insights. China's ahead of us as far as penetration and growth of e-commerce, uh, as well as mobile. So 
there's definitely some insights there. I think sometimes we overread those here in the U.S. So I think a lot of the rush to kind of copy the, you know, the messaging and the commerce within messaging is is probably not going to take off because it's kind of pretty unique to that that environment and that ecosystem in China. That being said, there, there are some really interesting things there. So a couple I wanted to point out. Um, number one is Alibaba is on a really big – they talked about this. Their CEO was at the conference as well. Um, they've invested a lot in these stores called HEMA, H-E-M-A, uh, and they call it O plus O, uh, which is online plus offline, uh, which is kind of you know their version. their kind of version of omnichannel, if you will. But it's much more of like guide – shops and those kinds of things. So it's kind of like a next generation retail. So you can see uh, there. Um, one of the ones I've found interesting is some of the top apps in the US are these entertainment apps like HQ Trivia, um, which is commonly abbreviated HQ. In China, there's some really cool apps that have kind of married entertainment and shopping. Uh, and of course, Alibaba does this around Singles Day, but there's more that are kind of doing it. Um, one I found really interesting, they talked about here, and I did a lot of research on it. Um, this was a concept that's kind of in like the 2000 timeframe, a lot of companies tried this in e-commerce and it didn't work. And it was called group buying where they would say, Hey, I've got this widget. And if you can get, you know, a hundred people to buy it, I'll lower the price. Um, the problem with that is in those timeframes, we didn't have the platforms for telling a hundred of our friends very quickly, but now with social media, we do. So these, these kind of next generation platforms are tied into messaging and social media and whatnot. And, um, they're really geared towards incenting the consumer to share, to get a discount, the one on slide 86 that she talked about is called Pin Duo Duo. Um, and I would encourage listeners, we don't have time to go into it, but I think that's a really interesting concept and um, you know could be used for a way to do liquidation and just kind of really um, you know could be like the next flash sale kind of a model. So I, I thought that was interesting. Uh, and yeah, that, that uh, kind of were some of the highlights I wanted to point out for folks. Uh, and, you know, if that stuff's interesting to you, uh, let us know on our Facebook page and we can kind of dig into some of the areas deeper on one of the future shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd love to do a, a deep dive if that makes sense on any of the specific areas. It's a super uh, dense deck. And so there's, you know, a lot of, of potential things to take away. Um, but that's probably a great place to leave it uh, for this week because it's happened again. We've used all of our allotted time. Uh, again, if there's uh, further conversation, we'd love to hear from you on Facebook. And if this was a valuable episode for you, we'd sure appreciate it if you'd jump over to iTunes and give us that five-star review because that, that feedback is what keeps us going. Thanks, everyone, for joining us, and have a great week. Until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com.